Hello, you're listening to Send in the Experts with Georgina Durrant. This podcast is all about teaching and supporting children and young people with special educational needs and disabilities, SEND. My name is Georgina Durrant. I'm the host of this podcast brought to you by Twinkle SEND. As a former teacher in Senko myself, I wanted to create a platform to share some of the amazing things that my guests are doing to support learners of SEND. So whether you're listening on your commute, tuning in whilst walking your dog or curled up on the sofa with a nice cup of coffee, thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Tina Coop. She is a former teacher with a master's degree in education who, until 2019, taught across a number of settings, including both special and mainstream schools. Her experiences included teaching English as a foreign language to adults, leading a specialist autism provision and setting up a nurture unit in a mainstream infant school. At the age of seven, Tina's daughter developed a sudden onset of severe neuropsychiatric symptoms. Her daughter went very quickly from thriving in a school setting to developing special educational needs and requiring a one-to-one teaching assistant. Five years later, in early 2019, Tina discovered the charity Pans Pandas UK and was taken aback by how many other families were supporting children with strikingly similar symptoms. Despite being a teacher herself, Tina had still not been able to get the message across that her daughter had not been born with these special educational needs. She started to volunteer for the charity, creating resources that she wished had been available for her own family. In 2020, she became the education lead for the charity. This rapidly growing charity is only one of its kind in the UK, supporting families living with pans and pandas. It offers support and information to families and professionals in a position to help these young people. Their website hosts a wealth of information for educational professionals, and the charity is proud to offer online teacher training. Pans and pandas are medical conditions and so, of course, can only be diagnosed by medical professionals. Nonetheless, Tina feels that all educational professionals need to be aware of these signs as they have a crucial role to play in spotting the early symptoms and in better supporting children and their families when armed with an understanding of the medical context. Hi, Tina. Lovely to meet Hi. you. It's lovely to meet you as well. Thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, so could you tell us a little, we've sort of, we've introduced what pans pandas are a little bit, but could you give us a bit more detail? Because I, I imagine for a lot of people, unfortunately, this might be one of the first times they've heard of it. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, the charity, it's um it's a small but rapidly growing charity. Um, and it got going in May 2018 mm-hmm. uh, by a group of really determined parents, and they wanted to kind of raise awareness and improve the treatment guidelines to get UK treatment guidelines in place for children um who had these conditions. So yeah, they work hard to support families. They've got a private Facebook group. Um, I think there's about 5,500 wow. members. And it's kind of rapidly growing. Um, and they also work with a network of doctors called the Pans Pandas Network. Okay. Um, they, they meet quarterly. Um, yeah, and their vision is to ensure better outcomes for people, children and young people living with pans and pandas. Yeah. And what's your role in particular then? You're involved in education. Are you the education lead? Is that correct? Yeah. So I um, write resources for yep. families, um, help kind of families on an individual basis sometimes, although we've tended to move away from that now. Yeah. Um, we also offer teacher training and we Brilliant. do some kind of strategic work in the background with designated clinical officers to make um, local authorities and, you know, those sorts of people aware of the conditions as well. Fantastic. They're raising awareness, really. Yeah. And speaking of that then, so what, what exactly is Pans and Pandas then? Can you give it as a bit more detail on what it is? Yeah, I can. So they've got really long names. We have, haven't they? I I like an acronym for this reason. I can understand you won't be able to say the whole whole thing every time. 
So even I'm now going to need to refer to my notes. <laughs> um, so essentially, you've got PANS, which is Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. Yeah. And although it's called PANS, uh, although it's got pediatric in the name, it actually affects adults as well. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Not just children. Um, and then PANDAS, which is Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorder Associated with Streptococcal Infections. Right. So PANDAS is the one that's linked to strep. So after a child has strep, and whereas PANS could be other things. Is that correct? Yeah, that's completely right. So PANS is a sort of a wider term, and that could be triggered by COVID-19. We've got mm. a set of children that are affected by PANS or chickenpox, flu, um, you know any infection really that could trigger Gosh, that that's terrifying body. as a parent that's absolutely terrifying isn't it so these children just have these regular you know chicken pox is a regular thing that children get like so they have these and then their body has a different response to it is that what the theory behind it is then and then yeah and then they get these sort of psychiatric problems yeah you're right so it's a kind of a misdirected immune response and right the child's brain essentially Gosh. And it causes a wide range of kind of neuropsychiatric symptoms or so neurological or wow. psychiatric. And the symptoms a child get are really varied. So right. no, no one child who develops these conditions is the same. And we know that, you know, it's really common. Children get infections all yeah. of the time, you know. And I think it's fair to say we don't really know or we've only got early evidence to suggest why some children develop these conditions, kind Gosh. of post-infections. And other children, obviously, they don't. They just get better. That's really, it's quite scary, isn't it? Especially when like this, and I'm sure a lot of parents listening will agree, like this last autumn term and sort of winter time has been particularly bad for like lots of bugs. And, um, you know, there's been, it was a strep A outbreak, wasn't there? And all of that, I bet that's been particularly terrifying. Have you been getting more members as a result of, of these viruses or is it too early to tell? So both of those in a way. So certainly yeah. from the strep A outbreak, the charity then needed to publish some information to kind of support the the families on the group about that in terms yeah. of raising awareness you know in wider society as well that this is one potential yeah um, for some children um but I need so, to emphasize as well strep is very common and all children yeah. will have strep yeah so why so if it, if this is happening why haven't we heard about it before because until I did research for this podcast I didn't know very much about this I think I'd seen you on Twitter um talking about it and that was probably the first time I'd heard about it so it's obviously working Tina <laughs> Twitter helps but like in general I don't think many people have heard about it and why why is this going to be the first time people have heard about it that is a really good question and it's actually quite difficult to answer yeah um, some of the things um you know that I think might be behind that there's been controversy about how the conditions should be categorised and treated. Right. Um, there's been issues about which umbrella of specialists they kind of come under. Is it neurology? Is it psychiatry? Is it immunology, for example? Yeah. Um, there's been a general kind of lack of training and knowledge. Um, the term that we hear sometimes in the charity is that is controversial. Yeah. Uh, Actually, PANDAS is recognised by the World Health Organisation. Oh, right. Um, and yeah, so it, I think it's just a few of those things kind of coming together that's created this really difficult situation and low levels of awareness. Gosh, that must be really hard for parents, not only to see their children going through this, but then 
but <laughs> to not get that diagnosis easy and to not have anyone to support not I know there's you guys supporting them but not have it as a general thing that people are aware of it must be quite isolating until they find sort of charity the charity like you've got must be quite yeah. scary for them I think it is it is really isolating because you've kind of got your child deteriorating and they're functioning in front of your eyes yeah that might not be recognized the extent to which they've developed those symptoms and then you you know you're unlikely to get a diagnosis you're unlikely to be able to access treatment and you find yourselves very quickly in a kind of a different position with schools as well yeah Um, as your child may have been you know being perfectly fine thriving in their you know educational setting and suddenly things change very quickly oh gosh um and it's about getting that awareness out there about what might potentially be going on with some of these children yeah because you wouldn't make the link would you like initially I'm just thinking you know as a parent if my child was poorly and then suddenly they had changes that with the behavior or the way they were acting I wouldn't you wouldn't correlate the two automatically would you so it must be it must take a long time for people to come to you and realize that there's a problem a lot of googling Absolutely, yeah, through Googling. But you're completely right. You know, you, your child might develop, uh, I don't know, a range of symptoms and you would not be linking those naturally to an infection that they had, you know, a few yeah. weeks before um, because you wouldn't even know that that's possible to happen, probably. No, exactly, which I suppose is why, why this is so important that you're raising awareness so that people can get to the bottom of it a lot sooner and hopefully help these children. So how many children is it estimated have pans um, or pandas in the UK now? That's a really good question as well. And the honest answer is we don't know. Don't know. Um, so there's one US statistic from Pandas Network, and that mm-hmm. sets up to about one in 200 children. Oh, my goodness. If, if that applied, and that's a big if, then yeah. that would be about 51,000 children. Oh, I had no idea. But we can't say that. No. No. Um, but there are plans in place now um, for a surveillance study right. in the UK to um, grasp you know the yeah. extent of the issue obviously that's not straightforward by any means because children haven't been getting a diagnosis no so we've yeah we've got to start somewhere and yeah you know, with covid and long covid and all the brilliant work long covid kids have done they're putting yeah. a lot of focus on these kind of post-infectious complications yeah is it just going off on that then is there a bit of an overlap do we think between long covid and pans pandas so we know that some children um, who've had COVID then go on to develop um, PANS. We know yeah. that. And I think, I don't know if you're aware of the work that Helen Goss has been doing, but she's been very openly, she founded Long COVID Scotland, yeah. been very open about her own um, daughter and, you know, the journey that they've been on and her daughter developed PANS um, uh, following COVID. Oh, gosh. Oh, it's terrifying. And I'm, I was saying to you just before the um, recording, if when I went on to the Pans Panda website, Pans Panda UK website, and I had a look at the videos, um, and I would uh, urge our listeners to go and have a look at them because it, they're quite emotive. I cried because I'm very, very sensitive and emotional, but it, it is very upsetting as well. And you, there's um, a video and it shows some music and then it shows pictures of the children before looking healthy and happy and, you know, having regular lives and then showing them when they're suffering with this. And it, it's absolutely heartbreaking, isn't it? It's really, really, and I can't, I can't begin to imagine how upsetting it and difficult it must be for families. Yeah, it is. I, I probably can't express it. I probably no. wouldn't be able to express how difficult the situation is for our families. Um, and I think it's important to say that that doesn't just come from the symptoms themselves. They're devastating as well, but yeah. it comes from 
current context of it's really hard to get diagnosis, yeah. really difficult to get treatment, it's really hard to get the right support that you need in school. It's hard for family even to kind of understand what's going on inside yeah. the walls of the family home because you really would have to see it to, you know, believe Gosh, it. Gosh, yeah, yeah, exactly believe it. I imagine, you know, some people talking to of uh, extended family members and people not believing them, which would be even more terrifying if you were experiencing it at home and then you're then telling, I don't know, grandparents or uncles and aunties what's actually happening and then people are saying, oh, are you sure? Or questioning you, that must be, and teachers questioning because, oh gosh, it must be really hard. Yeah, I think it's a whole a whole storm, really, a whole storm of things that are making things really, really difficult for families. And actually, that's the amazing thing about the support group is yeah. despite what these families are going through, the strength and resilience in the families and their ability to support other families is, is you know, what, yeah. what they're going through it themselves. is It's amazing, really. Yeah. No, it does sound it. Yeah. So what might parents notice at home then if their child has pans or pandas? So it's a good question. And in some ways it's quite hard to answer because yeah. every child's different. So I'll start with that. But there are some signs that you can be looking for. Okay. So firstly, there's a really wide range of the type of symptoms and how severe the child okay. symptoms. So a common scenario is a child might get an infection. So for pandas, that would be strep throat. They might seem to get better. Okay. And then you might start to notice some things. And these could include, for example, the child might start saying they've got um, bad thoughts. Right. So they're often worried about harm coming to their family. Or they might feel you're not safe. Um, or they might even have some visual images that you are being hurt or someone's hurting you. Mm. So your child will essentially start to become quite anxious and start to report bad thoughts depending yeah. on depending on their age. They'll usually um, develop really quite severe anxiety. <clears throat> and this is usually about everything. Um, so they start to worry about going to school, uh, about their friends friendships about pets it can be traffic family members oh. homework spelling tests um any kind of assessments in school um they might start saying they don't feel safe um and they might start wanting to be with you a lot more um yeah. than they did before really and that can be uh following you around the house wanting to be hugged by you oh. can't sleep in their own bed anymore um, you know, even to the extent of coming with you in the in the shower. Oh um, gosh. And then, you know, it gets really, really difficult often to get these children into school. You know, yeah. they've been skipping into school, all is well. And then suddenly the child is kind of devastated at the school gate. Oh gosh. Um, and that's often because they're worried that something's going to happen to you while they're, you know, oh, well, this is heartbreaking, Tina, isn't it? It is really, it's really tough stuff. Um, other things you might notice, um, you might see behaviours you haven't seen before, like um, they may struggle to be on their own. They might struggle with basic skills like getting dressed or organising their school bag. Um, they might stop wanting to do things they used to enjoy, like clubs. Mm -hmm. um, they might watch TV programmes from when they were a lot younger. Oh, and that's interesting. Yeah, and they might want to watch the same program over and over again. Um, you might notice some physical changes. Um, these could be ticks. So some children develop ticks. You don't have yeah. to ticks for pans or pandas, but some children do develop them. 
Um, and often children will develop kind of some toileting issues. Yeah. And um, this can be going to the toilet a lot or feeling that they need to wipe themselves continually. And what happens is, is that parents usually take them to a GP. Yeah. GP does a urine test on them and the urine test is clear. So <clears throat> it's really if you're noticing um, a kind of cluster. Yeah. Of changes of bad thoughts, behavior changes, wanting to be with you, physical changes. Um, some children develop changes in their fine uh, motor skills. So you might yeah. notice that they become really messy when they're eating or they can't do up their shoelaces or oh, they can't hold a pencil or do writing in the way that they used to do. So there's lots of potential signs and symptoms. Um, and I think it comes down to families really knowing their child really well yeah. before these changes kinds of occurred and trying to map them all, give equal weighting to yeah. all changes that occur because that helps a child to get the correct diagnosis quicker. Yeah. And how quick do these symptoms come on then? Like, is it over time? Is it like quite gradual or is it, or, do you know what I mean? Like if they had the strep throat and then they got better, how soon after that are they getting these symptoms? So I think we don't know. Don't know. We don't know the latency period. Um, the diagnostic criteria says um, it needs to be quite sudden. Right. And how that's defined varies. Yeah. Um, and many families do report that it's quite sudden. Some families even say it's overnight. But other families oh say there were early kind of bubbling signs or early warning signs when they look back. Yeah, I suppose it's probably yeah. difficult to piece them together when you at the time you wouldn't know. But yeah, I suppose over time you might be able to look back and think, yes, there, there was something. Yeah, and that makes sense. And then there's a sudden onset then. Yeah, yeah, there's early warning signs. So if they notice these symptoms, they think that's it. Then can they get what? How do they go about getting a diagnosis or treat? Is the treatment like what happens? Can you get better from this? Yeah, there is treatment. And actually in the UK, um, <clears throat> the charity have just um, come together to form something called the Pans Pandas Working Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and this contains lots of different medical bodies, um, including the Royal College of Psychiatry and the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health. And they've come together and very recently, actually in February, published um, an interim statement with medical guidelines Oh, brilliant. So this should uh, help a lot now. Yeah. Families are kind of going along to the GP. But I think a really good step is if families notice this, is if they can kind of do a timeline. Yeah. They can kind of have a look which symptoms emerged when and maybe if the child had had any preceding infections. And that's really helpful information to take along to the to the GP. Yeah, that's a good idea. Like not noting it down and noting things because you do. I do that, you know, when you're writing down, like when you've given them cowpol and things like that. You do start when whenever they've got any sort of uh, it might just be me trying to remember when I've given them cowpol. But I often make a note of things with my own children, like when oh we've given them cowpol at this time, just in case, you know, so you're aware of, if you have to go to the doctor so you can tell them what's actually happened I suppose it's doing that not just with um but yeah sort of with these other behavioral changes as well and noting those down so that when you go and see a doctor you've got you've got this timeline you've got these things to actually explain what's going on so they can get a better picture because it's hard as well when you sat with a doctor sometimes to remember it all isn't it and remember exactly what happened and when it started so yeah having it written down does sound a sensible idea yeah and it's really easy to miss some of the symptoms that might be part of the condition yeah really helpful if you can go to the website and look at the diagnostic criteria just to make sure that you're not missing something because 
there's such a wide range of symptoms and you know normally if your child develops issues with their writing and disordered eating behavior at the same time you would not you no. would not leave them as being linked so that's the first thing things get missed the second thing is giving equal weighting to what's happened in the child because often it's the most dramatic symptoms that are focused on yeah and they tend to be psychiatric so this you know crippling anxiety or you know these kind of intrusive thoughts um tend to be the symptoms that are focused on it's really easy in the gp to then forget to mention actually yeah all of this is going on um and schools can really help with that as well because teachers can help um by kind of noticing these early signs in school we've got a resource for that oh brilliant Um, and I suppose that helps families doesn't it if it's not just coming from them if it's coming from a few angles like we're noticing it in school you're noticing at home and it's kind of building a bigger picture isn't it Um, absolutely yeah it's really helpful if you have like professional evidence and your professional evidence can also include evidence before your child got poorly so ah yeah at all you know and needs one-to-one support and all of these things and they were fine before it's really helpful to kind of have that evidenced as well if at all possible yeah Um, so look back look back on how they were doing before look back if there's now issues with attendance if their progress has dropped, you know, if everything's yeah. on, then have a look. How were they functioning before? Yeah. And so how you said it's treatable. What do they actually what 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 do what medicine treats this then? So there's like different, you know, there's different forms of treatment and I'm not medical. OK. Um, so there's kind of anti-inflammatory immunology kind of approach. Yeah. Um, there's kind of mental health support and psychiatric support. Um, the support that neurologists can give so there's a kind of wide range of treatment options for children yeah in these updated medical guidelines it's signpost clinicians to two um, sets of guidelines Um, so if you go on there you'll find out further information yeah so yeah no worries so if so because a lot of our listeners are teachers if yeah. they're thinking oh there's somebody in my class that you know didn't need support earlier on but now is needing support like what how else would might they notice it what how else does pans pandas affect children in school and I imagine this is going to be one of these answers that it could be anything because it's going to be broad because we've heard that from how it affects them at home but what what might they notice in the classroom that's a brilliant question um again no one size fits all um, but there's some things that are really helpful to know. One is mm-hmm. it's often confusing, and that's because it's known as a relapsing and remitting condition. Right. So a child will have an infection, and then they'll develop all these neuropsychiatric symptoms, and that's known as a flare. Yep. Um, and then that usually happens quickly. And then what usually happens is the child really slowly or gradually recovers. Again, the time that takes varies from weeks to months to even years for some children. Oh, wow. And then <clears throat> obviously the next infection comes along, the child is triggered again. And what we find sometimes is that children are slowly moving further and further away from their original baseline. Right. So the first thing I'd say to teachers is you're the keeper of the child's baseline. So go back and check how the child was um, managing before the onset of these symptoms and if yes. capture their potential and capture their baseline and ensure that that's not getting lost. Um, so how do children with pans and pandas present at school? So firstly, they can be partly masking in school like other conditions, which makes it a little that bit... does make it hard. I know. 
Um, and that's because um, some of the symptoms can be internal. Um, some of the children are going to look at their peers and do as their peers do. And also the child was performing in a different way before. So they're aware of their kind of change in functioning. Yeah. Makes sense. So yeah, as a teacher, you might see a child who had previously had an even profile, learning profile, they can develop a spiky profile. Um, and that can be cognitively and socially and emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, these conditions affect far more than just academic ability. Um, you might notice the child in your classroom can no longer complete tasks that you're asking them to do. So a child who could previously listen, take on board your instructions and then complete a piece of work can't do it anymore. They can't, they can't absorb your instructions. They can't remember what you've asked them to do. They can't sequence the steps that they need to do. And then their writing ability may have been impaired as well. <clears throat> You might find a child um, who becomes very physically fidgety or mentally fidgety, very Mm -hmm. anxious, um, with low levels of concentration. And again, the key is what was typical for that child before? Yeah. Of course, you might have a child who struggles with those skills anyway. But what you're looking for in these conditions is actually that child was really able to cope and concentrate well, and now they can't. Um, Children often... um, have difficulties with working memory so you'll Mm -hmm. notice they can't really remember what you've asked them to do or they'll get instructions muddled up um some children have language changes these can be subtle or they can be quite you know quite severe um children often in schools feel really overwhelmed so they might be distressed or they might need to leave the classroom um they become very reliant on adult support many of these children they struggle with emotional regulation, and so they might be very up and down. And you're going to probably notice some quite profound changes in their progress and attainment levels. So their yeah. progress might slow, or it might even go backwards in some cases. Gosh, uh, do do lots of children get misdiagnosed with other sort of special education needs and disabilities? Then, as a result of this, do yeah. do they get? Do people think, oh, perhaps it's ADHD, or do, do you see what I mean? Do, does that happen? It happens a lot because firstly, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. So that yeah. means that the other conditions need to be ruled out first. Secondly, it's a clinical diagnosis. So there's no one definitive marker. Yeah. Say, you know, there's tests you can do to check whether a child's recently had strep, but there's not one definitive kind of test that you do. And if and you're, that- sorry, I'm just thinking if you're having to exclude things first, knowing how long the waiting times are to find out if it is autism or ADHD or something like that this could take ages to find out if it's pans pandas goodness absolutely and we've got you know children who aren't diagnosed for many years oh my goodness and then their whole childhood that's horrible it's really really challenging and it the symptoms look like other conditions as well so if you didn't know the child before you might look at them and think I think, I think, you know, they might have ADHD or I think they might have autism or I think they might have Tourette's syndrome because the symptoms can look like yeah. conditions as well. And also they're really confusing. They keep changing. Oh, and, and that's also really, you know, that's not part of our education training, really. No. And children, for example, can develop really severe sensory needs and sensitivity to sound. And then that symptom can kind of be gone to be replaced by a new symptom. Oh my and goodness. 
some of the learning difficulties that children develop, we might then perceive as developmental difficulties because that would be the training that we've received. But in these conditions, it's often of acute onset. It's yeah. part of the condition and it also can get better. Yeah. Gosh. Um, so if a teacher does, rec- if they think or suspect a child, and obviously they can't medically diagnose, and I keep having to repeat this on the podcast, but you know they can't do that. But if they suspect a child has got PANS or PANDAS, what do they then do? So it's a good question. So I think the very best thing they can do is start doing some observations on the child. Yep. Um, that will really help for the parents. Um, so it's like speaking to the parents as well. Um, first and foremost, is probably advisable. So saying that they've noticed some difficulties and see if it's been happening at home as well, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. So find out how the child's managing it at home. What have yep. the parents noticed and start to build up that picture. Yeah. Um, it's really important to be aware that you know parents of these children often end up in battles or oh, it ends up being quite difficult with schools because what the parents are reporting might not be what the school are seeing yeah. um so it's really important oh to- that's so hard on top of everything to be having to like battle <laughs> oh this is just awful it's really heartbreaking I'm feeling quite upset hearing about this like so they have, they've got all of this going on and then people might not believe them. And then when they're saying to school, then they're almost having to like persuade them of what they're thinking. Oh gosh, this is really hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a, it's a lot of things kind of coming together. Mm. And I would say that schools have a massive role really in providing support for children and parents, even if that's just a listening ear, even yeah. if that's just being on the parent's side and saying, look, we're here for you. We don't understand it either. This is yeah. really confusing for us, um, how your child is, you know, presenting. And I guess what you're looking for as a teacher is kind of multiple unexplained changes in a child. So if you can yeah. see these changes and you know there's nothing going on at home and, you know, everything was okay before, then that might be the time to think, ah, oh, you know, is it worth considering pans? Yeah, because I suppose the teacher is what, like, because a lot of these changes might not be something you go to your GP about initially. The teacher might be the first person they've the parents spoken to about this potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they are in a you know crucial position really to spot yeah. those signs because they often know their children and their families really, you know, really well. And we yeah. sort of say to teachers that. Um, the earlier they can kind of put in some support for these children, even if they don't have a diagnosis yet, and even if they don't know exactly what's going on, yeah, kind of the better because we've sadly got children on the group who um, can't really engage with any education now longer, oh, gosh. and that's for many different reasons. But one reason is being in school when you're having all of these different symptoms because children don't just develop one symptom they develop Mm. lots at the same time um, and those symptoms have a cumulative effect and interacting with each other so if in an educational setting and they're I don't know hallucinating or have got terrible OCD then that causes a long-term trauma for the child associated them with education oh gosh yeah. yeah really empathetic compassionate and kind of nurturing approach really as soon as the first signs are 
kind of identified or you, or you have suspicions that this could be the case yeah and I suppose like you said about the support they can be supporting any of these needs so if it is more that um what you said about sensory and that side of things if they're struggling with sensory then you can provide support for that without knowing what the reason behind it is can't you you don't need to wait in a sense you can still be <laughs> looking into it whilst you're providing support and a lot of these supports are free anyway you know you don't have to do very much it's just small like adaptations isn't it and tweaks you're doing in the classroom that could probably make a bit of a difference absolutely and if you bear in mind that it could be a medical condition then that may also shape your approach for example mm. many of these children struggle immensely with their handwriting so their handwriting right. skills deteriorate this can be really dramatic and oh, uh, many children have something called margin drift where it kind of floats down the page so that can be a sign of pans or pandas but it's about schools knowing that that's linked to a brain condition. So if a child is flaring and if they're well enough to be in school, because many aren't, but if they're well enough to be in school, it would be a case of school then compensating for those skills at that time in a scribe or a different way of recording or focusing on effort rather than outcomes. Yeah. Um, Rather than perceiving the child is not trying hard enough. Yeah which is yeah. sometimes what's happened because the training's not out there and the awareness is not out there. No, oh gosh. And so I was just thinking attendance-wise as well, because you just said about um, obviously not, not always going to be well enough to be in school. I imagine that's, the, we've touched on attendance in previous podcasts, but I imagine that's a bit of a problem, especially with, um, shall we say, the more heavy-handed approach that the government seems to be going down with attendance. Absolutely. I think that would be a podcast on its own. Yes. <laughs> Just to say really briefly, it is an issue for uh, many of our families. And I think it comes down to what's going on with the child being kind of misunderstood. Yeah. And it comes down to not considering the child's long-term positive engagement with education. Yeah. Uh, And what we find really, really helpful for many of our children is if they've got this key person in school um, for which they can build a relationship and have some trust and yeah. be able to feel that they can share some of those really difficult kind of symptoms. Yeah. Um, and when that's in place, that begins to build this relationship between home and school because school are then aware of far more of the symptoms than they might be otherwise. Um, yeah. And the child is also able to express some of those difficulties at school rather than just holding them all in and coming home after having your head bursting all day oh, with gosh. thoughts and stuff. And then obviously at home, things are then really, really difficult. Yeah. So a trusted person at school is a is a big one then. That must be really important. It's important for all children, let's face it. But yeah, in particular, even more so in this situation. So where can, because there'll be teachers listening, hopefully. <laughs> I always say that. There will be teachers listening um, that will want to get some more information and further advice about this. Where should we be sending them then, Tina? Where do they need to go to find all this information out? So if they go to the Pans and Pandas website, <clears throat> yep. number of resources there for families, teachers and medical professionals. And these are, can be invaluable, really, in terms of understanding the context of the conditions. Yeah. Um, teachers can sign up for free training for an hour, mm-hmm. accredited. Um, you can contact the charity for any educational advice or support. Brilliant. You can on Twinkle. Um, yes. <laughs> resources. 
Um, and what teachers can really do as well is signpost any other professionals because it's not just teachers really that need to be aware. We need to raise awareness amongst occupational therapists, speech and language therapists um, yeah. and other professionals who are doing assessments on these children. Yeah. And we don't really have any UK-led educational research on these conditions. Okay. So if there's any universities that are tuned in that deliver teacher training or training yeah. on psychologists, then this is an area um, that I think would definitely benefit from from research. We did um, a short survey recently, and we found that several parents were then reporting that their child was achieving above expectations before the onset of the condition, and then after the onset, they were achieving below expectations. Wow. So I think the whole, whole wealth of educational research out there that yeah, and that would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks ever so much. You've been brilliant. I've really, well, it's been it's tough a tough listen, I think, this episode, but a really important one. So I hope it does help. Um, do you know with your important work on raising awareness on on this? So thank you ever so much. Thank you. Wow, that was a, a difficult listen, but hopefully a really useful one as well. Um, if you're looking for specific resources on pans and pandas, we've actually got some free ones on the Twinkle website for you to have a look at, as well as an article written by the Digest team about pans and pandas. Um, and also I'll put the links to that as well as the links to Pans Pandas UK charity in the show notes below. So do have a look at those. Um, and yeah, thanks again for listening to Sending the Experts with me, Georgina Durant. Please spread the word on social media that you've been listening and make sure you're subscribed to our channel.